Good morning, church. Good to see you. Glad you're here. And if you're visiting, buckle up, hang on for the ride. We are honored to have you in the house today. Hope you had a good week, and I'm especially glad you're here and to hear a brief message, but one that's loaded with encouragement for everybody. Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? Uh, what am I supposed to be doing? Do I have anything to offer? Does anybody see anything useful in me? Do I have value and purpose in this church and in God's kingdom? And can God really use me? Well, well hang on, because I'm going to show you, oh, you have no idea. L listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 30. St. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when God called you. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> Not many of you were smart by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify things that are. I'm feeling better already. Yeah. He just lowered the bar way, way down. Even the cowboys could qualify for this. He said he did all this so that no one can brag before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I want to talk to you about how God chooses people. He chooses from the back of the line, not the front of the line. It's exactly contrary to how human nature thinks. Someone has well said, God doesn't choose the qualified, but He qualifies the chosen. You know, God allowed Israel to choose a king to rule over them. His name was Saul, and he was chosen to be the first king of Israel. But Saul ultimately disqualified himself because he became proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, rebellious, and independent. He was a Texan. <clears throat> those, are, those are things you ought to stay away from. But God tells us later He chose to use him when Saul was small in his own eyes. Now, he's a big guy, but inside his heart, he, he, he was, a, was a humble guy. He realized, man, God's doing something good with me. I know it's not about me. So when he was small in his sight, God used him. But the day came when he no longer saw himself that way. He started to see himself more than God made him to be and take the credit. Do you know a lot of people fail when they see themselves pump themselves up to be what they're not, but a bigger crowd, they lose out because they refuse to see what God sees in them, so they won't step forward. God wouldn't use me. Uh, I don't have any potential. I've got a bad past, a bad reputation. Uh, I'll be the least of anybody. God would never choose me. And as a result, the largest part of people will never volunteer to say yes to God, thinking they are unusable. Now, if you look over in 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'll get there in just a second. I think most people in here would be pretty much like me. I, I hope I'm not the only one. I hate waiting in line. 
I don't know about you, but if I go to a grocery store, I'm looking to meet, I'm sizing up automatically, which one's moving the fastest before I get there. Anybody witness to that? Uh, or, or if I'm in an airport and I got to go through customs, I'm trying to see which line is moving uh, faster. If you travel international like I do for over 40 years and you're in business, you get a fast track card. They give you a fast track card. I love this. Fast track means you don't have to get in that four mile line. You get to go right fast track and you get to go right up to the customs desk. They fast track you. And the problem with that is we in our culture want a fast track to lose weight, a fast track to be wealthy, a fast track to a great marriage, fast track to, to be successful in life or business, fast track to be a good parent. There ain't no fast track. Not for that. It takes a little bit of time. And, and I'm just trying to say I don't like by human nature to wait. I want to get first. I want to get up in the line first. I want to beat the crowd first. And when those big 747s pull into the Terminal International, everybody's running like an Olympics because they want to get ahead of the crowd to get up to the front first so they don't have to wait for hours to get their bags and get on through the trip. Even though I know the principle of Scripture is the first shall be last and the last shall be first, we still want to be first. How many times has God sent people to the back of the line who promoted themselves and thought they were ready for a promotion, self-promotion. Here's what God says in Psalm 75, verse 6, promotion comes from God. That means no matter who you are or where you are, whether you're on the backside of a desert, whether, you, whether you're obscure, overlooked, you're a little girl who's a refugee in a foreign land like little Esther, God knows where you are, and in His purpose, He'll get you. He'll come get you. You don't have to be voted on by anybody. God will vote for you. So if you're not being promoted, stay faithful right where you are. Don't promote yourself or you'll find yourself demoted. You wait on God. He's always on time. He knows where you are. If He knows how many hairs are in your head for crying out loud, He knows where you are. And so don't try, don't try to help God out. You're going to get in trouble. In the Old Testament, inheritance always went to the firstborn son. Yet in this story of choosing a king, David was the son of Jesse. He was not the firstborn. He was the eighth son. Jesse had seven other sons who were Johnny Handsome. They were cosmetic cowboys. They had the looks. Even the prophet Samuel, when he went to choose a king from the sons of Jesse, he didn't know which one it would be. God just told him where to go. And he looked at him and was blown away and said, holy cow, look at this. This is the best human flesh I've ever seen. Surely the Lord's anointed is among them. And God said, I haven't picked a single one of them. And, and you know, Samuel's probably like us. He said to Jesse, you got any more kids or I've missed God. Hey, well, I got a kid on the backside of a desert, but he ain't much. You don't want to know him. And David was overlooked, underestimated. And yet he was the one God was going to choose because when God chooses, he chooses from the back of the line, not the front of the line. And boy, that just tweaks, uh, twerks a lot of Christians because they think, no, it's the person. Well, I haven't, and I haven't, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't. And he chooses people you don't like and you wouldn't have chosen. And I'll show you why in a moment. Now, you remember that God chooses different than men. He says, I know the thought and intent of your heart. God doesn't choose like man chooses. Scripture says man looks on the outward appearance. That's why we put so much emphasis in America on image. 
but it isn't who you really are. And so God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. So God is committed to character and integrity, not talent, not personality, not good looks, not background, educational, not your SAT scores, or how much money you make. He's not committed to the person who's perfect. First of all, there isn't anyone except Jesus, all right? But to the person who's committed to Him and His purpose being a world changer. Now God's committed to you. I just think it's interesting. What are some reasons God might have chosen David before I look at the theme about God choosing from the rear? What did God see, perhaps we overlook and don't see? In Acts 13, verse 22, it says, and when God removed Saul from being king, he raised up David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You know, it doesn't matter how cute you are, if you're not going to do what God said, you're not going to get chosen. David wasn't a perfect man. He ended up committing murder and adultery, but he he overall was an obedient guy who wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And so look at some of the qualities. First, he's an obedient son. When his father said, take care of these few sheep on the back of a desert, he didn't tell the brothers to do it. He told David to do it. David obeyed. He willingly served. He didn't make excuses. He didn't argue this was too menial, that he <clears throat> had much greater potential and deserved better. He simply obeyed, observed to do what his father said. So here's a good question for us. Are you always willing and obedient to do what the father says? Or what his earthly representative asks you to do? Are you going to just argue, argue, argue? Are you going to obey? Jesus gave an illustration where two sons come before uh, a, an employer and, and our father, and one says, uh, go into the field and blah, blah, blah. And then one said, yes, my father, oh, yay, I'll do it, and never went. And the other guy said, I'm not going. I don't want to. I, don't, I got plans. I'm going out tonight. I need the car. And he went. And then Jesus said, which one did the will of God? The guy you didn't like, the guy with the bad attitude, the guy who was fumbling, cussing, and stammering around. He did what I asked him to do. He didn't have a good attitude, but he went and did what I said. The other guy looked nice, acted nice, and didn't do it. So God says to obey is better than sacrifice. God just rather have you obey, good attitude, feel good, don't feel good, just do it. Get a Nike spirit, just do it. I'm not telling anybody how you feel. If I told you how I felt half the time, you'd say, huh? Really? Yeah, yeah. Just obey. Number two, David was faithful. He was responsible. He was courageous. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I went after him with a club and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turned on me, I caught it by the jaw and clubbed it to death. This boy's bad to the bone, huh? You don't, you don't see too many people grab a lion by the jaw and club it to death, but David did, and a bear. So while caring for sheep and a lion, a bear came to steal from the father's flock. David could have said, I'm going to run behind a tree and pray for the sheep, but no, no. He went after the adversary. What was entrusted to him by his father became great concern to him, and he protected it as though it was his own. It wasn't his, it was somebody else's. Are you faithful and responsible and courageous to take care of problems or an assignment that's been given to you? Uh, 
even if it's not your own, you treat it like it's your own. Jesus said, if you're not faithful in what belongs to another man, who will give you what's your own? Meaning the gateway to promotion is don't wait till you get your own. Be faithful with somebody else's property. If you serve another man's company, if you serve in a department, if you serve in this, be faithful to the Father. Do Treat his sheep, treat his people, treat his career, treat his job, his business, treat his children, treat everybody like it was your own because you're writing a resume for your own future. God says if you're faithful with what belongs to somebody else, I'll make you uh, ruler over your own. That's a gateway to promotion. So treat everybody's li- like yours. Be protective. Be, uh, if you see something uh, that's, that's wrong, that's way out of line, report it in a business, in a company. I walked by a door 40 years ago where James Robinson's office was working for him, flying airplanes and doing menial tasks. And I heard a guy that had just been hired at a high level over all of the ministry going through James's mailing list and calling people to try to get himself promoted and to financially enrich himself at James's expense. And I know James didn't know that, so I went to James and told him. And then I went with him to confront the person, and the person was fired. You say, well, I, I don't want to get involved. You wussy. What do you mean you don't want to get involved? You treat somebody else's business like yours. And if you want somebody doing that to you, don't do it to them or you'll produce that kind of a a toxicity in your own company, business, or church. You try to hurt a man's family, you're going to get hurt. You try to hurt a man's spiritual family, speak up. We don't know what's going on every place. Speak up. David was that kind of a guy. He risked his own life for something that wasn't his. It was his father's scraggly old sheep. God liked that. Number three, he remained ready, available, and flexible to change. Are you? 1 Samuel 17, verse 17, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of uh, roasted grain, 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers. Well, he was flexible to take food to his brothers, leave the sheep in care of a, of a custodian, and then, okay, dad wants me to now be a pizza delivery guy. I'll go do that. Dad wants me to. And so he goes, are you available? Are you flexible? Are you ready to change? or be changed in a moment's notice. What if the head of a company says, look, I know you're doing that. I need you to cover this now and do this. Somebody has said, especially in business or church, the only, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. Everybody hates change. But if you're going to be, you watch football teams, sometimes you have to play a position that wasn't your strength because of an injury, and the coach says, I need you to play this position. Can you, without griping, sucking your thumb and moaning, can you shift and say, I'll play. I'll give it my best. This is not where my strength is, but I'll play, coach. And a lot of guys have gone on to become pretty darn good in an area because they were flexible and adaptable to change. Sometimes you have to change. Number four. David could be talked about, ridiculed, and mocked without losing his cool and getting offended. It says in verse 28, 1 Samuel 17, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he became angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about you, about your pride and deceit. You just want to come up here and see the battle. Excuse me, time out, cowboys. If I'd have been David, I'd have gone after my brother right there. I'd have dropped him. I said, you chicken wussy what battle? All I see is a 10-foot giant intimidating the armies of God, and you're sitting over here running your mouth doing nothing. 
Now, that's not in the Bible, but that's what I would have said to my brother Eliab. But did you see any battle going on? Didn't see no battle going on. All they're doing is talking about the size of the giant, the size of the debt, the problem in the economy, the problem in circumstances. Any idiot can do that. How about a solution? Can you see a solution? We serve a God of unlimited power and potential. He said, I killed a lion and a bear, and I'm taking this sucker down. He's going down today. I am not going to put up with this. David didn't lose his cool, didn't, didn't retaliate. He probably could have killed his brothers, but he didn't. And uh, I kind of wonder about people. Can, can you be corrected without being offended? Who of us, who of us can't be corrected? Ever been corrected by your wife? You know, I get behind a bunch of people. They don't know when to move on a green light, and you blow the horn. My wife says, honey, they may go to our church. You better not do that. <laughs> well, I know she's right. We're not going to get a divorce, but I'm getting corrected. Uh, I get corrected quite a lot. <laughs> don't you? If you can't get corrected, you're going to be a fool, and you're going to not la last very long. I don't care if you're a president of the United States or you're a husband. Everybody is subject to correction. I've corrected some people, and they left the church. And what they were doing was clearly wrong, but they, they couldn't take correction. And if you can't, God won't promote you. It's just that simple. And if you can't take the fact lots of people won't like you. If you do anything, if you try to do anything significant or different, family member will criticize you. Who do you think you are? And David had the same thing going on. They criticized Jesus, and he was perfect. So come on. There's 7 billion people on planet Earth. 20 people don't like you. So what? Suck it up. Move on. Don't worry. Everybody will never like you, and people will be. Whether you're a woman, businessman, or businesswoman, it doesn't matter. Somebody isn't going to, and they're always going to judge your motives. They've never done it. They've never achieved anything, but they know all about what you should do or what you did wrong, although they've never achieved anything. You just have to know that comes with the turf, and you'll always be a small person if you can't accept criticism that's going to come from people who don't like you, who are envious of you, or correction without being offended. Fifth, David always stood up for the name of God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David replied to this Philistine giant, that's Goliath, you come to me with a sword, spear, a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you, cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of all your men to the birds and wild animals, that the whole world may know there's a God in heaven. David refused to allow the name of God to be blasphemed. Do not hold back and fail to speak up for the name of God, even in this sorry culture. Don't be frightened or intimidated when people blaspheme the name of your Lord. You let your position be known. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm ashamed of the behavior of Christians sometimes. I'm ashamed of the behavior of church sometimes, but I've never been ashamed of God or our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in a rock and roll band, this is really weird, uh, I wasn't a Christian, obviously. I was worshiping, but it wasn't anything I ought to have been worshiping. And I remember it, it, profanity runs pretty rampant in rock and roll bands. Plus, I'd been raised in the military. If you've been in the military, profanity is sort of English. Uh, 
I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that was the culture I lived in. So that didn't bother me. But when they started using Jesus Christ, I went ballistic. And I said, you use your mother's name, not Jesus' name. I do not know why that so agitated me. It still does to this day. And they wouldn't do that around me. It cussed, but they wouldn't use Jesus. I was on a Delta Airlines flight 40 years ago going to Atlanta, Georgia, and two guys who were probably drinking way too much started cursing. uh, Oh, I I don't mean a little bit. I mean it filled the airplane. It was so loud and boisterous. And I thought, I wonder if anybody's going to say anything. And it was Jesus this and God that, and you can fill in the blanks. And I remember I got up out of my seat, don't know what I'm thinking, got up out of my seat, went down that aisle to the front, and I said, sir, there are men and we- there are women and children on this plane, shut your mouth. Now, I don't know, we didn't have federal air marshals back then, so I'm, I'm ready. I don't know, are we going to fight? I don't know, maybe, I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it one way or the other. And, and, and graciously, they just immediately said, Um, And I'm sure being drunk, they weren't even thinking, I'm so sorry. And they didn't do it the rest of the time. But nobody said anything. And I thought, you think I get, he ain't paying my air ticket. I don't care what he thinks about me. You don't shut your mouth. I got to listen. You have a right to freedom of speech, but you don't have a right to invade mine. Shut your mouth. Would you, would you do that? Uh, You got an employee or something. You, You pay them. You can say, hey, you can do what you want in your free time. But around here, you don't say that. Okay. Uh, I'm a believer. I'm not ashamed of the Jesus. I am ashamed of the behavior of people. And I'm not talking about extremism here. I'm just talking about blatantly being unafraid to identify with Jesus. I don't care if it's a business or whatever. I've walked into businesses and said, George has asked me to pray over this business. We're going to pray and ask God to bless it. And nobody, even an atheist, nobody's going to say, no, we shouldn't. I've never had anybody refuse that. It's just a good thing. You don't get all deeply religious. But you're just proud to say, I identify with Christ, bless this business, and I, I, I just do it boldly out there in front of God and everybody. And nobody gets offended at that. And that, let them know you're, you're a follower of Jesus. You're not ultra-religious. You're not weird. You just believe there's a higher power that's got your future at stake, and you want a little bit of His favor and blessing on your business. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. If somebody is offended by that, tell them to leave. God won't leave. Tell them to leave. Y'all okay? Is this too hard? Uh, well, David, David stood up. And number six, he finished what he started. 1 Samuel 17, verse 50. So David triumphed over the giant with only a sling and a stone. He didn't have a sword. That just means use what you have. God's not going to use you for what you don't have. He's going to use you with what you do have. Be who you are. Don't worry about what Billy Graham did or T.D. Jakes does or somebody else. He knows who you are. He knows what gifts he's given you, and that's what he'll use. So he, he, it says he pulled out the sword from the sheath of Goliath after he knocked him out and cut off his head and killed him. So he finished Goliath completely. He didn't leave the job half finished. He finished what he started. So in life, if God's evaluating you for permission, do you finish what you start? Well, not in America. Jesus said, Father, I finished the work you gave me to do. Uh, Paul said, I finished my course. Vince Lombardi, (laughs) he wasn't an apostle, he was a football coach, said, winning is a habit and so is losing. He says, you don't do things right once in a while and be a winner. You do them right pretty much all the time. 
And he says, you don't become a loser because you did one wrong thing. It's because you just suck. You do something wrong all the time consistently. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's okay, folks. You can laugh, clap, throw money, whatever you want to do. It's okay. <laughs> do you finish? Did you, well, I made a commitment, but you didn't finish it. I made, a, I made a promise, but you didn't finish it. I signed up for it, but you didn't finish it. Be a finisher. That's all. If you got kids, make them finish whatever they agree to do. If they start a model and they're going to build it, a puzzle, make them finish it. Finish what you started. Or you'll be 40 years old, 50 years old, and you can't finish a marriage, you can't finish a job, you can't finish a relationship, you can't take pain, you can't take an offense, and God says, I can't do anything with you. You can't finish. Sometimes we all feel like quitting in every life, in every dream, in every marriage. Quit looks good. Just don't quit. And kind of know everybody else who's finishing felt like quitting too. They just didn't quit. That's the difference between winning and losing so much of the time. So we think of David as this great king of Israel, but we fail to look at what God saw in him that positioned him for promotion. And it will position you for promotion as well. David was just an ordinary kid with an extraordinary heart. And many disqualify themselves because they refuse to see who they are like God sees who they are. God chooses nobodies to become somebodies for His purpose on earth. And the people God uses are usually snubbed, looked down on by the religious community. They're underestimated, they're overlooked, and they don't fit into the system. Every person in this room or watching by live stream has a place and a purpose in God. We're here to honor God and change our world. You know, we're representatives, ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture says, ministers of reconciliations. How did we suddenly become judge? I'm sent to bring good news. I'm sent to be an ambassador from Jesus to tell you what He said. Come home. You are forgiven. Debt paid. Ollie, ollie in free. No, no, we got to get up, shoot off our mouth, and be the judges of the whole earth. He didn't give me that power. He told me, be a, an ambassador of good news to people. Well, Samuel goes to pick out a king of Israel. Seven good-looking boys walk by. God says, I reject all of them. Yeah, but he was in Charisma Magazine. He was December Playmate. Nope, nope, I reject him. And finally, David is called from the backside of the desert on a mountainside. And here's what the prophet said. Verse 11, 1 Samuel 16, send for him at once, for we will not sit down and eat until he arrives. Now, that must have been humiliating for the older brothers. How many miles away was David? Could have been five miles, maybe 15 miles. We don't know. How long did they have to stand and wait? And Samuel the prophet said, the whole program of God is going to stop until the one I've called comes and stands here. That means nothing's going to move until the one I've called or chosen arrives. That makes me wonder, who's waiting on you to become available, to be used? What person, what job, what city, what nation, what church is waiting on you to show up and be who God made you to be, trusting Him? See, why won't you step out in faith and obedience and respond to God's choosing of your life? Faith is not believing God for the right circumstances or situations, for crying out loud. It's obeying God in spite of circumstances or situations. You know, a lot of people allow circumstances—I love that commercial—in the unlikely event 
you know, or due to circumstances beyond our, I hate that, due to circumstances beyond our control. And so they allow circumstances to dictate what they will or they won't do. Well, I would, Rick, but I got small children now. Well, duh. You think mine came full grown? Uh, well, I have a demanding job. Well, if you're doing spit, everybody does. Uh, I, I'm getting my education. Join the crowd. I'm getting a more of an education after two colleges watching you. Uh, I, I would, but I'm paying off bills. Well, join the club. I'm married with kids and grandkids. I'm going to be paying till the di day I die. I'm like a shark. I got to keep swimming or drowned. You can't stop. You hear what I'm saying? I'm saying excuses, excuses, excuses. The excuses are the crutches of the uncommitted. You need an excuse? Always got one. God says the whole creation is waiting on tiptoes for the manifestation of the sons of God. Maybe today you feel useless, insignificant, forgotten, overlooked. Then you're a candidate to be chosen from the back of the line. You're a candidate for the kingdom of the eighth child. You're who God is looking for and waiting on. I mean, look at the Old Testament and New. Look at all the people God chose from the back of the line. How about you, Moses? Oh, I can't speak. I stutter. Send my brother Aaron. Esther, what about you? I'm just a Jewish orphan girl living in Babylon. Rahab, what about you? No, I'm not qualified. I'm a lap dancer, a high-dollar escort from Jericho. Amos, who are you? I'm not a prophet. I'm just a farmer. You, Elijah, what about you? I'm a Tishbite, meaning a mountain man. I'm just a country redneck. Elisha, where'd you come from? From behind a plow? I was just plowing the farm for my dad one day, and I heard a call, and something inside of me said, you can be used. So I said, okay. Zacchaeus, where were you? I was an extortioner. I was up a tree when Jesus called me. What? Paul, you'll do. No, no, I persecuted the church. I had Christians imprisoned and sentenced to death. Timothy, who are you? Well, my mother was Jewish. My dad was a Greek. I'm not even supposed to be in this deal uh, as a half-breed. Do you see the kind of people God used, folks? He will qualify you. When God chooses people, He doesn't go to the front of the line. He goes to the back of the line. And these are the people God will qualify. He will qualify you. What made them available was they said, yes. I'm available, I'm teachable, I'm flexible, and I'm changeable. I think we wait, wait, wait for the great, for the wise, for the mighty to show up, and God's just looking for somebody who's available. That's all. So they can do great and mighty things through Him. Maybe you failed greatly. Maybe you feel unworthy, useless, insignificant. Maybe you have a bad record, a bad past. Maybe your historical track doesn't look too good. Maybe you've settled for little or nothing. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve anything. And God is saying, I'm not through with you. I have a place for you in my kingdom. Others are waiting on you to show up with what I've put within you. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a purchased people. You are to show others the goodness of God because He's called you for that purpose. And folks, there's no greater power than just your story. We've been preaching to people for two months. Tell your story. Tell your story. We have people in here convicted of criminal felony, and 25 years later, they're high-profile, high-productive people, giving people, serving people, and Jesus transformed their life and their marriage, and they're sitting right here in this church. That's 
story is powerful because if you don't know them, but you know them now, and you hear their story, you're thinking, oh my God, you? Really? I can't believe that. Well, that's what God can do. That's why that story is much more powerful than just preaching or preaching theology. Tell your story. This is who I was. This is where I was. And this is what God has done for me. Because people who come in now don't know you, don't know your story. And everybody likes a good story. And you are a living epistle. That means a living letter. You are a story. Tell your story. One woman just, she was, had five husbands and living with a guy, not her husband. And she gave her life to Jesus. He forgave her. She ran into the city, brought the whole city out with her story. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I'm not sure I'd want to go see anybody could tell me everything I've ever done. That's just me. I'm sure you're fine. You glow in the dark, whatever. But they ran out, and it says many believed on him because of her story. How much theology did she have? Zip. But she had a story, and she was different, and she was changed. Folks, we are heirs of the past, we are guardians of the present, and we're architects of the future. God has entrusted so much to our care. And the reason we're here is not to impress our community, it's to impact it. You can impress without impacting, but you can't impact a community without impressing it. The sign over the door of your life may say failure, loser, divorcee, uh, 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 former felon, uh, five divorces, uh, uh, drug conviction, alcoholic. I could just name the people from here that have had that nail over their door, but it doesn't indicate who they really are. Uh, I remember one of my mentors said to me years ago, he said, Ricky, you can put a sign, hen house over any shack, but it wouldn't mean there's any eggs in there. A teacher asked a boy in English class which was proper, the hen is sitting or the hen is setting. And this little country boy said, I don't know, ma'am. All I want to know is when she cackles, is she laying or lying? <laughs> See, are you involved in the purpose of God in this place at this time? Are you producing something or are you just cackling? See, you have something to give. You have something to offer. And the question is, will you believe, will you obey, and will you respond? Because when God chooses, He qualifies who He chooses. It's not up to you. Your job is to say, yes, use me. Whether I'm an income producer, whether I have a gift to teach, whether God could use you in the ministry. And I tell you again, get ready. People won't like the fact God blesses you and uses you because of your past or because you, they don't see you as good as they are. When Joel Osteen was promoted as probably the leading uh, ministry voice in America and perhaps part of the world, the, guess who didn't like it? All the pe preachers that were on TV that had been around a long time and saw him doing it different and getting bigger crowds, and immediately they began to damn him worse than the devil. Jealousy, envy. Jealousy digs the mud that envy throws at success. You can always tell. I don't like the fact God used him. He doesn't preach hell like I do. He didn't vote. He didn't. He didn't vote Republican. He, I, I can hear it all the time, and I just love it when God just gets in there and just spits in your face and say, "I'm going to choose that one and that one and that foolish one and that weak one, and they're going to honor me, and everybody will know I'm doing it, not them." And they can just curse all they want to, but God will use you. 
I don't care if you come out of a strip club or a drug cartel. I'm glad you're here. And God sees something in you redeemable. If he could take Rahab and put the messianic seed line of Jesus through that womb that saw a lot of business, if he could do that, if he could, if he could, <laughs> welcome to the Joan Rivers Church. Can, can we talk? Can we talk? I like it. You know, it's just like saying the adulterers, the murderers, the extortioners became incredible people when God got a hold of them. He can take your mess and make a message. Please do not disqualify yourself because of the opinion of other people. Let God's opinion reign in your heart. I'll close with this. When, when, I, when I was in the rock and roll band, I, I heard a message from Billy Graham, and I wanted to give my life to Jesus. We had all gotten married in a bar. Oh, great marriage enrichment class. And I was a rock and roll entertainer. And my wife said, if you get, become a Christian, I will divorce you. And it was pretty easy. I became a Christian. Didn't enforce that on anybody else. Just, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I got divorced. The first thing a leading authority in a Baptist church said to me, and I still see him sitting on stage saying, God will not use you because you're a divorcee. <laughs> well, I've never heard his name, but I stand before you saying he was a liar. He was a liar. God doesn't hate divorcees. He hates divorce, but he doesn't hate you. He himself gave a bill of divorcement to Israel in Jeremiah 3, verse 8. God's a divorcee. He couldn't be licensed to preach by many denominations. Are you aware of that? I had a major preacher in Australia of a, of a, not Hillsong, but a major denomination say to me, I never saw that in my life. And I said, you don't read your Bible. You just preach stuff. And I said, God doesn't hate divorcees. He just hates divorce, but he hates pride too. He hates those who murmur and gossip. Why don't you put that in there? But that's what we've done to people saying, God wouldn't use you. And I remember thinking, I'm just 27. I don't know. If he will or he won't, but I'm going to find out one way or the other. I'm going to go for it. If I did a right thing and God won't use me for doing a good thing, then I need a different God. And that's what some of you need to know. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He forgives and he restores and he will use you. Don't you dare sit back and say, I'm not worthy. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.